can you guys just resonate with what's in that video that, that God has more for us and we are in pursuit of him and we want more from him? Is that your heart this morning? Man, that is my heart of just to go 100% after him and to experience all, all that he has for me. Have, have you ever been in a situation uh, and a, a situation occurred, something happened and you really didn't think too much of it at the time, but when you looked back later in life, you saw how that event uh, really had significant influence um, on your life, or, or maybe have you ever met somebody, and at the moment you met them, it was just a casual greeting, you didn't, you didn't really think too much about it, but then later they became such an important part of your life that, that you, you couldn't even imagine life with, without them, but, you, but when you met them, it didn't, it didn't even really like, seem like it was that, that big of a deal, like it was that significant. Have you guys ever had anything any situations like that happen? Uh, yeah, I know I have. And, and I think that, if I, no, actually I know that this morning is, is kind of like that. I mean, I know sometimes we come to church and it's just, you know, it's what we do. I mean, it's Sunday morning, it's a beautiful fall day, and it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And so it's just, you know, it's another day, it's another service, it's another, it's another sermon series. But, but actually, I'm really going to challenge you in that this morning, that, that I, I do not believe that the series that we're starting today, that we're going to be in for the next four weeks, is just another series. It, it's, it's really not. It is really, it's really foundational to what God is doing in our church right now, and then what he's going to be doing in our church over the next season. And so the reason, one of the reasons that I'm, I'm sharing this is because it's laying a foundation for what God is going to be doing. And so I, uh, I, I am so, so excited about this series. Now, for us to understand this series, um, I, need to do some, I need to do some background on this. I need to, I need to set this up. Uh, what we're going to be talking about is something called Four Cups. And these four cups are four cups that are found in the Passover celebration, in the, fa- in the Passover feast. And so I, I want to I set that up for you um, in, in just, just a moment. I want to read to you Exodus chapter 12, 26 and 27. In your bulletin are sermon notes that you can fill out and those are you, yours to hang on to that you can refer to later. There's fusion groups questions for those of you that do sermon discussion in your fusion groups. And so I think they'll be really helpful to you. So I want to just let you know those are in there if you didn't know that. Exodus chapter 12, 26 says, when your children ask you, what does a ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And so I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to, I'm going to share a little bit about Passover. Now, some of you may be very familiar with this with this feast, you, you understand it, and maybe I'm not going to share any new information, but I think it'll be helpful just to be reminded of some of the aspects. Some of you may have not heard of the word Passover before, you don't understand the context, uh, the content of the story, and so I'm just going to just share that for a moment, because unless you understand that, you're really not going to understand the full implications of, of what I'm going to be sharing over the next several weeks. And so the way, and I, if you were here last week, I kind of introduced this a little bit last week, so you'll, some of this will sound a little bit familiar to you for the next few moments, but if you, if you can think of Abraham and his descendants, they were beginning to possess the land, the promised land that God had given the Jewish people, the children of Israel. Because of famine, they went down to Egypt because there was food in Egypt because Joseph had gone there. He'd been in prison, but then he rose to second in charge of the whole world. And so he fed the world from Egypt. And so his, his cousins, his family, his brothers, his sister, you know, everybody, they came down and they lived in Egypt and they were shepherds, which was just horrible in the Egyptian 
culture, that was like, that was the dirty work. They were the dirty shepherds. So they put them down in the land of Goshen, which was a beautiful land of great fields. But, and so they just, the sheep multiplied, the Jewish people multiplied, like they were just prosperous. They were there for 400 years. They became a great, strong group of people. Well, Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, realized, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have this huge um, minority population over here that if, if we're not careful, they could overthrow this whole thing. And we could lose everything because they're becoming so strong. So what are we going to do about this? Well, how about let's enslave them and have them do all of our work? And yeah, sounds like a good idea. So that's what they did. And in fact, the, uh, the Egyptian pyramids, some of the great structures of the world, they were, they were built by these slaves. And, and, and so they were enslaved and and, and this continued to happen, and, and it came to a point where they were so numerous that they began to instruct them, force them to kill their firstborn male children. They had to kill them uh, to, to curb uh, the population, and there was a, a mother who wouldn't do that. And that's where we get the story of Moses, where um, uh, she sends him in a basket down the river, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter discovers him, takes him in, raises him in Pharaoh's household. Uh, he begins to understand who he is, who his family is. Uh, as he becomes a young man, he attacks an Egyptian soldier, kills him, murders him. He flees, and he just gets away. He moves to the backside of the desert. He gets married. He has kids. He settles down into his career as a shepherd, and he just kind of lives life. And some of you may kind of be in that in that that phase of your life, right? Maybe that's kind of what's going on in your life. You know God has things for you. You know he has a future. He's put a calling in you, but, but, but right now you're just raising kids and you're, you're working a job. And, and those, those are all good things, but I want you to know that God is going to meet you right where you are. And, and I love the fact that God showed up to him in a burning bush. In a, he shows up to him and, and, and he speaks to him. I mean, like, like we think Hollywood's cool, but like this was real life. Like a burning bush is, is talking to him, and it's God, and it catches Moses off guard, and, and he says, he goes, it's great what you've been doing, but there's a new season in your life, and we know that his wife and his kids are going to be a part of this future that God has for him. In fact, even the shepherding that he had been doing, God was using it to prepare him to shepherd his people, and so it was just this, you just see how God was working the whole time on everything. But Moses goes, God, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how I can do this. I mean, he had a speech impediment. He was not, he was like, I'm not the right guy. And God goes, you're the right guy. You are the right guy. And in fact, but because you don't feel like you're the right guy, Aaron's going to help you. Your brother's going to help you. And, and he goes, well, God, how do, who am I going to tell him sent me? And he says, tell him I am that I am sent you. And so Moses obeys. He goes, and, and, and as the story goes, God sent plagues to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And, and the last plague was, would be the, the death of the, of the firstborn. That The instruction was that they were to kill a lamb, slaughter, sacrifice a lamb, and take the blood and put it on the top of the doorpost and put it on either side. If you can think of that blood, it would look like a cross, actually. And, and that when the Lord came, that where the blood was, that the firstborn would, would not die. And, and so the children, children of Israel, they did that. They obeyed, and, and they were spared, and they were brought out. And that, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's, and, and so when they celebrate Passover, the Jewish people celebrated Passover, that's what they were celebrating, was that passing over. Now, we know that Jesus came and fulfilled that. And that's where this, this, uh, the, the Feast of Passover is where 
is the picture of where we get communion from because it was at a Passover meal that Jesus um, installed the Lord's Supper, what we would call communion. In fact, uh, Luke twenty-two fifteen 15 uh, through 20 says, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you again, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so, see, Jesus is our Passover lamb. He fulfilled Passover. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So Passover was, was future-orientated, uh, celebrating what God had done in Egypt, but looking forward to the fulfillment of this in the Messiah. And so Jesus comes. He is the Passover lamb. He is sacrificed. He does cover, cover our sin. And then and we look on this side of Calvary, we're able to look back and participate in communion in the Lord's Supper, remembering what Jesus has done, remembering that he's the Passover lamb, and then anticipating his coming again. So does, does that make sense? Okay, great. Well, so what we're, what we're wanting to do is, is to set this up. And so as we talk about the Passover lamb, there's three things about this lamb. The first one is that it was spotless. Like it had to be without blemish. And that was because it was a picture, a foreshadowing of the Messiah, of Savior of Jesus, who is spotless. First Peter 1.19 says, You are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And then the lamb would be slaughtered. And when I mean slaughtered, I mean slaughter. It's not a pretty word because it's not a, a, a pretty occurrence. And I'm going to tell a story, so hopefully you're finished with your donut uh, from before service, but, but I actually grew up, actually grew up across the street from a slaughterhouse. Yeah, I think real estate was cheap there. I, I think, I think it was a, I think it must've got a good deal on the house. And, uh, but it was, it was called Reeves Packing and there was a, it was a huge slaughterhouse, large field across where they kept the cows before they took them to slaughter. And every, I mean, every day they'd slaughter animals. And at the end of the, every day, Right in front of my house would be these huge garbage trucks. I mean, just like the garbage trucks you think of when you think of garbage trucks. But these garbage trucks were full of the carcass of all the leftover pieces from these cows that had been slaughtered all day. And so you can imagine the smell, the stench. It, 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 when the, we were south. When the wind came out of the north, it was a lot of manure and just blood and just stink. It, I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. Flies were bad, too. i just just saying. So... But as these trucks would drive by, blood would pour out from the back of these garbage. You ever seen a garbage truck that had like it had been raining and waters come out of them? Imagine that being blood. And I don't know where EPA was or anything. I don't, I don't know. That was, I don't know. But I just know it was bloody. In fact, the, the street that I lived on, there was, it was brown. There was a brown trail up our street from where the blood, and it was the, you know, the deepest, the darkest, the most at the bottom of the hill, and by the time it got about a mile away before it pulled off on the main road, it would just, you know, because, you know, they were, it was just all the blood was pouring out and just staining the road that I lived on. And so when I think of slaughter, I mean, that's what I think of, and I think of these, and I think that would be somewhat of a picture of what it would have been like on Passover when these animals were being slaughtered, and the fact that Jesus was slaughtered for us. I mean, he was, he was sacrificed. He was, 
He was slaughtered. It wasn't pretty. It was the most horrible death that could have ever happened. And God picked the, the time where capital punishment was the worst ever, and that's the time that Jesus came. We know that Isaiah 53, 5 says that surely, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed, I mean, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, was, that has brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's what Jesus did for us. And so this lamb had to be perfect, had to be blameless, had to be slaughtered, and then it also had to be shared. That they were, every family was instructed that, that, if, that if there was more lamb than what their family could eat, that they needed to get with another family. And they would share together because it was, it was community that, that there could be nothing wasted, nothing left of the lamb. And boy, we, we need to grab a hold of that, 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 that anybody that doesn't have Jesus, it is our privilege and our responsibility to invite them in to us, to relationship with us, so that they can experience Jesus, because, because everybody needs to, needs to experience Him. He is the Lamb of God that we must and need and want to share with the world. And so as we talk about this Passover meal, there was the Lamb that had to be, had to be taken. There was the unleavened bread that represented the body of Christ, or that was broken, it was, un, it was unleavened, it had no yeast in it, yeast in the Bible represents sin. Even today, if you were to look at matzah bread, you'd see the holes, you'd see the, the stripes on it, they just help you picture what Jesus went through and, and what he did for us. There was an element of the bitter herbs that would remind them, generations of the bitterness of the slavery of the sin in Egypt. And then there were four cups of wine. Now, this is something I think I had heard of before, and you know, sometimes you hear things about the Bible, but it doesn't always resonate. You don't always like think about it too much. But I was in Israel earlier this year, and, and this was talked about there. And it just has really just been just working in my heart about the four cups that would be at Passover. Now, when we think of communion, we just think of, of the one cup. But in Passover, there are actually four cups of wine that they would drink during this meal. Right? Like, who wants to be Jewish, right? Yeah, <laughs> so they drink these four cups of wine at this meal, and each cup represented a different promise, a different promise. These are four core promises of God, and so there, each one would be, would be drunk at that point in the service of, the, of, the, of their meal. And so I want to talk about those, but before I talk about those, I just want to talk about promises just for a, just for a moment, because it's so important that we know the promises of God, that we understand the promises of God, and that we pursue the promises of God. It really is. I mean, we have to know the promises of God. If we don't know the promises of God, then we're not able to grab a hold of them. That if you're sick, you need to know that by his stripes, you are made whole. That if you are in, that if the enemy's coming to you and lying to you and telling you just how dirty and how rotten and how horrible you are, that you need to know the promise of God that in Christ there is now no condemnation to those that are in him, that you, you don't have to take that, that when you need resource, you need the Lord's help, you have the promise that he has promised to take care of all of my needs according to his riches and glory, right? Amen? So we need to know those promises. We have to understand the promises that, that some promises, there's an if then, right? If you'll do this, and God says, then I'll do this, right? But sometimes we want God to do this, 
but we haven't done this, right? We want this without that, but we got to understand his promises. We have to pursue his promises. And that's really what this series is about. It's about pursuing the promises of God, about going after all that he has. Even if you look at the word promise, the word pro there means means forth. It means forth. And, and the, the second part of the word of promise means, means to send. So it literally means, promise means to send forth. It's a, it's a future-orientated word. Like, you can't make promises about the past, right? Like, promises are always future-oriented. They, they, they always are. Second Peter 1 4 said, God has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So he's saying, because of the promises of God, you can get in on what God is doing. You can live a supernatural life because of his promises and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So you can live a, a life according to, to, to carnality, according to just your natural self. Or you can hold on to the promises of God, you can know them, understand them, pursue them, and you can go forward and live a, a supernatural life, this, this, this participating with the divine nature of God, of what he has invited us, us into. Now, like if we were to take time and everybody was to tell all the stories of all the promises that have been broken to them, like, wow, we'd be here probably months, wouldn't we? If we just think about it, and I think when we think of promises, we so often think of promises that have been broken, but I'm so thankful that we serve a God who doesn't break promises. Amen? And we serve a God who keeps his word. Hebrews chapter 6, 17 and 18 in the message says this. It says, when God, when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock-solid guarantee, and God can't break his word. Aren't you thankful for that? That God can't, you know why God can't break his word? Because it's his nature to keep his promises, because he is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so his nature is a promise keeping God, right? Now, he doesn't always keep his promises like on time or how we think, on our timetable or how we think he should keep his promises, but he always keeps his promises. And it says, and because his word cannot change, why? Because he doesn't change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God, we're pursuing Him, have every reason to grab the promised hope. Now, the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament translations, Hebrew, Hebrew translations for the word hope is, is actually the word rope. And when I read this, I love to have that imagery in my mind that this promised hope, or I would call a rope of hope, we hold on to this with both hands and we never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. That's what his promises are, reaching past all appearances. It doesn't matter what things look like, right? It doesn't matter to the natural eye how things are because we have the promises of God to hold on to, and it takes us to the very presence of God. And it's in the presence of God that we're able to grab a hold of the promises of God, and we hold on to his promises and we pursue him. He pulls us into the future that he is designed for us. Amen. Do you want in on that? Man, I do. I do. And so there's four cups of promise that I want to talk about this morning. Four cups of promise. This is our key verse. This verse will be our anchor verse for the next, for today and the next three weeks after this. I I just want to encourage you to to be here for all of these. You really need to get all of them to really understand all the promises the Lord has, has made for you. Because I really think you can take just about all the promises 
and just you could probably just put them in, in one of these four categories. It's just so amazing. So, so here you go, Exodus chapter 6, 6 and 7. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and here's the first one, and I will bring you out. That's the first I will. That's the first promise in this passage. He says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to men, and I will redeem you, that's the third promise, with an outstretched arm and with acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." And so there's four cups of promise. And so in the Passover, when these each I will statements would be read, there would be a, one of these cups that would be drunk to, to, repre- to represent this. And so the first one is the cup of sanctification. And as you have your notes there in the bulletin, just fill these out. The cup of sanctification, I will bring you out. And the promise here is that God promises me salvation. God promises me salvation. I'm not talking about religious activity I'm not talking about church attendance, being a church member. I'm talking about salvation, being sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Sanctified means being set apart, being set apart unto God and being separated from the world, that he offers us this salvation. Timothy, chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, says this. It says, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. Now, now don't, don't look at your spouse and look at your watch, right? It wasn't that long ago we were stupid and stubborn. This is before we came to Christ. Dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands. We just were doing whatever our bodies wanted to do. Going around with a chip on our shoulder, hating and, and hating back. But when God, and you guys thankful for but when God? But when God, our kind and loving Savior, God stepped in, He saved us from all of that. It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives. And there's more to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. And so the very first cup is the cup of salvation. The very first promise of God is that we can know Him, and He can be our Savior, and He will will bring us out from this bondage, from this yoke. I I love this. I I just, I love this. And one of the things that, and I don't know how long maybe you've been around here, maybe this is your first Sunday, or maybe you've been here a few weeks or a few months, and maybe through our website or some uh, print material, you've seen that this is a four-square church, a, a four-square gospel church, and you're like, what does that mean? And, you know, I, I've never heard that, that word before. Well, what four-square means is, what four-square, what the actual word itself means, it means balanced, it means forthright, it means complete, whole, uh, bold, and so that's what the word means. And so it's a word that's used to describe the ministry of Jesus, the four-square gospel. What it does is it, it fully describes the fourfold ministry of Jesus Christ. And so our church, Grace Church, is all about Jesus. Like that's what we are about. We are about Jesus. And so we teach, we talk about the fullness of the ministry of Jesus, of the four aspects of that, that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus is our healer, that Jesus is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus is our soon coming King. 
That's what the Foursquare Gospel is. And what I love is that because Jesus fulfilled the Passover, that he is all those things. And that, that I actually see that these four cups line up with the fourfold ministry of Jesus Christ. And so this first cup of salvation we see in Jesus because Jesus is our Savior. Now, so many people have participated, have taken this first cup. They've experienced salvation, like they know Jesus. They've been brought out of Egypt, but that's as far as it goes. That's as far as it ever happens. I just know that like between services this morning, there was a, there was a young man who came up to me. Uh, him and his family have been attending here uh, for a few months, and he just said, thank you so much. Like, thank you so much. He goes, all I ever heard about growing up was that give your life to Jesus or you're going to go to hell. Like that was all I ever heard. He goes, it's so great to hear something more beyond that. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but like that's number one, right? Like you got to get that right. And he's like, yeah, but you got But there's also more than that. And so we had a discussion about that. So you absolutely have to have cup one, right? Amen. But that's not the end, right? That's the beginning. Like that gets you in, right? So that's when it really begins. That's when that's when everything begins to happen. So we have to view this, that that's not, the, that's not the end, that's the beginning. And so that takes us to cup number two. Cup number two is the cup of redemption. It says, I will, re, re, I'm sorry, I messed my notes up. Here we go, cup of deliverance. Cup of deliverance. I, I know that's not right. Step number two, cup number two, the cup of deliverance. I will free you. God promises me deliverance. See, when you get saved... When you get saved, your spirit is made complete. Like you are complete in Jesus. Your spirit is, it's even theologically, it's mature in Christ. Like your spirit, you're not like kind of saved, right? Like you're either saved or you're not saved. And so when you get saved, you are born again. Your spirit is new. But your mind, your will, your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, your soul has not cut off with your spirit yet, right? And so that needs to be transformed. And so what the second cup does is a cup of deliverance where he says, I will free you. He goes, I will free you. I will free you from being slaves to them, to the Egyptians. And so, and so this is what happens. And you, we've seen it happen in our lives that, that God could take his kids out of Egypt but Egypt was still in them, right? So cup number two, the cup of deliverance, the cup of freedom is about getting Egypt out of us. That's what this is all about. It's about deliverance. Now, when I say the word deliverance, like you may think of head spinning and, you know, you may think of horror movies and, and that, that, that's, that's really not what I'm talking about. Although there is very real spiritual dynamics and, and there is a, absolutely a place for for taking control of evil spirits over that and, and all that. But what I'm really talking about is struggles of sin that keep us captive, that Jesus wants to make us free in, wants to make us free. And I have a friend that talks about how these snares are like, like fish hooks. They get, they get caught in you, and, they're like, and there's like a line on it, and you get enough of them, and man, the enemy, he can just control you, and he can just keep you. And so this cup is about taking those out, about getting free, about getting that off of our life. Romans chapter 8 or 7, end of 7, beginning of 8 says this, So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get this, get this. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And I've been set free. 
And how many of you are thankful for whom the Son is set free is free indeed? That He sets us free, that He does that. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week is about is the freedom that God brings us that once we get to know Him, then He can He He sets us free to be who He is He's, he's called us to be. And so and so we see in this, we see as Jesus is our healer. That he's our healer. Not only does he want to heal our physical bodies, but he wants to heal our soul. He wants to heal our mind, our will, our emotions, the brokenness in our life. He wants to heal us from our yesterdays so that we can be prepared for our tomorrows, for all that he has for us. So that's the second, the second cup. The third cup is the cup of redemption. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. That God promises us restoration. He promises us restoration. To redeem something is, is, to, is to buy it back, but it's also to restore it to its original intent. To how, I mean, think of a car. You know, if you restored a car, you're restoring it back to how it was originally designed to be. And that's what this promise is, is that God will restore us. That we can discover how God designed us and made us. I mean, if we could, oh, I so wish, I so wish that we could somehow and I mean, we couldn't because it would blow our minds, but we could somehow be able to grasp what was in the heart and mind of God when He created each one of us. Before, as He was knitting us in our mother's womb, as He was created, I so wish that we could get a grasp and understanding of how, I wish I knew how He saw me. Like, I wish I knew exactly how He how he sees me at the end of my life, how I've been faithful, how I've done what he's called me to do, how I've operated in, in the gifts that he has placed in my life and I've been faithful. Like, like, Because I don't think we fully get it. And this cup represents that restoration, that this is a journey that we're on of fully realizing how we're made and how God has designed us for purpose, that we would be fully restored. That's a promise that he's given us, that he will restore us, that, that he has promised that he will, he will finish his work on that day of the Lord, that he is working in us, that, that he wants to use our, he wants to use your personality. He wants to use your temperament, the spiritual gift mix, the way he's made you. He made you that way on purpose. And so that's what this represents is us discovering that of us understanding why we're made, how we're made, the purposes of our life that we would really grasp this. And this is where, oh, this is where it gets really, really good. Uh, Ephesians chapter one, 11 and 12, it says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for, right? Amen. It's in Jesus that we discover our purpose. It's in Him that we understand meaning of life. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, He is working out in everything and everyone. I love that. That'll be two weeks from now. And so here we see the fulfillment of Jesus as the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. That he comes and he gifts us, that he equips us, he empowers us, that we can serve him, that we can be restored, that we can be fully used by him. And then the fourth cup, the cup of praise, is that I will take you as my own people. I will take you as my own people and I will be your Lord. And here God promises us fulfillment. He promises us fulfillment. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy but I have come, Jesus said, I have come to give you life. He tells his people here, he says, I'm making you into a people. 
I'm making you into a community of faith so that you can be my people and I can be your God. But do you know why he did that? I mean, do you know why he did that? The, the, the Bible tells the story of, of the Exodus tells us that the reason God did that is so that they could be a blessing to all nations. That is the point. That is the purpose of what God is doing in our lives. It's not just for us. Like, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, right? It's not about us, right? What God is doing in us is so that we can be a blessing for, to others. And so real fulfillment happens in our life when we begin to operate in, in the, what God has called us to do. When we begin to really do what God has called us to do. That When we begin to make a difference in our world, that that's when we are fulfilled. I mean, you guys will often hear me say, we are not called here we are not put on this earth to suck air right like God has put us here on purpose and to do something and that's what this is about this is fulfilled in Jesus as our soon coming king right because why has he not come back yet why has Jesus not come back yet well the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because there's still work to be done like there's still people that don't know Jesus and we want everybody to participate in the have the lamb of God and so as much as Jesus wants us with him and we want to be with him, there's a whole lot of people on this earth that don't know him. And and he doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to go into eternity without him. And so he is delaying his coming and so that we can be about our father's business, so that we can be reaching others for Christ. I mean, that is the whole point. That's why we are still here. We're, We're here to expand the kingdom of God, to advance it. To, to bring people into relationship with him. And so, do you guys begin to, do you guys see this progression? So the progression is of the cup that we would know him. And then as we know him, we can begin to experience freedom in him. And as we experience our freedom, we begin to discover our purpose in him. In the third cup, and in the fourth cup, we're then released to be the people of God that God has called us to be. D- does that make sense? Do you see that progression? And that's, I mean, we see it right here in this passage in in Exodus, but, but I believe it's true individually, but just as much as I believe it's true individually, I believe it's true corporately, that this is really what God has called us to do as a church. Like, like what's our job as a church? Like, what does God want us to do? Does he want us to have services? Does he want us to have a building? I mean, what are the kind of things? What God really wants us to do is to help people know him, right? To have people come to know Jesus, that we would lead people to Jesus at work and our neighbors, we'd bring people in here to come to know Jesus, that we would, we would introduce people to Jesus, people would know him, that people would be set free, that you and I, our neighbors, those we love, could be free in Jesus, that we could be delivered from those things that, that torture us, that bind us, that keep us from experience, experiencing all of him, that as, a, that as a church, we would help people discover how they're made, their purposes, what they're designed to be and to do. I, I heard a statistic this last week that I have to research more because it just blew my mind that only 13% of Christians in, in America that go to church really understand how God has made them, their spiritual gifts, their purposes of, what, of how God wants to use them. Only 13%, 87% of people, I mean, okay, you know, we're called the body of Christ, right? So imagine if 87% of your body didn't know how it was supposed to function or what it was supposed to do, right? Like, that's messed up, right? So if our churches, 87% of believers don't know what part of the body they are, or what they're supposed to be doing, like, okay, maybe that explains a lot of what's going on in our country, right? And I say, oh Lord, don't let that be so in our church. Don't let that be true of Grace Church. 
that we would be 100% that all of us would know how we're fearfully and wonderfully made and that God would work in our, in our hearts and our lives and, and that he would do that. And then we would, and then that we would begin to do that. That's the fourth cup. We'd begin to fulfill the calling of God on each one of our lives that we would do that. And I know in my own life, as I think of these cups, they're not cups that you would only drink from once and then move on and never drink from again, right? Even let's talk about the cup of salvation, right? The cup of salvation, like when you get saved, like you're saved, right? But, but you're saved then. The Bible talks about us being saved, like we're in the process of I mean, you're saved, but you're being saved, and then when you go to heaven, you'll be like completely 100% like Jesus saved, right? So it's this, I've been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Does that make sense? And then freedom, right? Like I know positionally in Christ, I'm free. Like I know that I've been freed from the law of sin and death, that I'm set free in Jesus, but I'm telling you, sometimes I don't live like I'm free, right? Like sometimes I need to go back to that cup, and let's get a little cup of freedom. Let's get it. It's just, you know what I'm saying? I need to get, I need to some more freedom in my life, right? I need to, I need to have that. And then, and then I'm so thankful that I haven't fully discovered all of what God has intended for me yet, even of who I am, that as I discover more of who God is, I begin to understand more of what he's designed me for and what he wants to do, that third cup of that restoration that God's still restoring. He's still shaping me to be like him, that's still equipping me to do what he's called me to do. And then I'm thankful that, that as much as I've been able to do for and with the Lord to this point in my life, that that's not over, right? That that's continuing, that that is going on. And, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited about it. Let's just say that I'm just excited about it. So in just a few minutes I have left this morning, I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk for a moment about the cup of sanctification, God's promise of salvation. It's the first promise. It's where every, everything starts. He says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The yoke here the yoke is slavery, death, and oppression. Okay, this is, what, this is the imagery. This is, what, this is what's going on. And understand the picture, understand the metaphor here, that Pharaoh represents the devil. Egypt represents sin, bondage, the control that, that Pharaoh had over his people. So it's so true of Satan that those that, that don't know the, the Lord yet. And, and, so what, and so Pharaoh had the people in bondage in three ways. He had them as slaves. Uh, he was, he, they were, there was murder, there was death, and, and then there was oppression. It's the same thing that he wants to, the devil wants to do in our life. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the same. It's the, it's the same agenda. But drinking of this cup rescues from that. It brings us out from that. First thing is they were forced as slaves to make bricks. And when you're in sin, before you know Jesus, you are enslaved, right? You don't have a choice. It's like a, a dog with a chain around its neck, right? And you just, you just drag it, and the dog can't choose where it goes. It just is going to go wherever you want it to go. And so it is with sin, that before we come into a relationship with Jesus, before that chain is broken, right, that we are not in control, that we can't, we can't stop sinning, we can't stop hating, we, we don't have peace, we don't have those because we are not our own, we are a slave to sin. You feel, if you feel trapped in anger and bitterness and sin, Jesus is your answer. The second thing here in death, I mean, think about this, that Pharaoh was, was murdering babies. You know, if you look throughout history, the devil has always tried to kill children, still is. He always wants to kill children. The reason is because he wants to destroy potential. He wants to destroy the future. And that's what he wants to do. That's why they were drowning babies in Egypt. Satan was trying to destroy the future. 
of the people of God. And the enemy in our life wants to destroy and keep us from the future that God is in. He wants to cut off the future that God has intended for you. But when you come to Jesus, when you drink of the cup of salvation, you are taken out. You are set free from that. That emptiness is gone. And then finally, Pharaoh required them to gather their own straw. Not only was it enough to make bricks, not only was it enough to be a slave, but then they had to go find their own straw. They had to get all the material. He is a hard taskmaster. Like the Bible says, sin may be fun for a season, but then it gets really, really bad and it leads to death. That is the end result of, of, of not following Christ. This same spirit, this same spirit that was at work in Egypt, this, this trying to, to kill, still, and destroy is the same spirit that motivated Islamic terrorists 15 years ago today to attack our country, to try to destroy, to try to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the same spirit. It's the spirit of, of death, of hell, of destruction. It's the same spirit. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came, and he died, and he rose again so that we could be set free. Are you thankful for that? That we could experience this cup of sanctification, this cup of salvation, that we could be free in him. First Peter 1, 3, 4 says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. You'd say, well, how do I drink of this cup? How do I drink of this cup? This is, this is, this is how you do it. First of all, you admit that you've fallen short of God's standard, that you've sinned, that you need a Savior. You need Jesus. You need this cup of salvation. You admit it. You confess. You, you own it. I need you, Jesus. And the second thing is you believe in your heart, by faith, that Jesus is the Son of God, spotless Lamb of God. You believe in your heart and that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You confess Him as Lord. You confess your sin. Say, Jesus, I need you. I confess you. I confess my sin. I can confess my need for you. And that you would repent. Repent means simply change direction. It means I'm changing the trajectory of my life. I haven't been following you, Jesus. Now, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you, and then I'm going to surrender. I'm not my own anymore. I'm bought with a price. I was a slave to sin, but now the Bible says I'm a slave to righteousness. And you know what a great thing about being a slave to righteousness is? That Jesus says, you're not my slave. You're my friend. You're my son. You're my daughter, and I, I love you. And he gives us eternal life that starts now, and it starts with this first cup of salvation.